0: I uh, wasn't really sure exactly what I would speak about. I wasn't sure exactly how this works. Um, So I asked a few guys, and they were telling me, um, I don't know, it better be good, Robert Tureski was really speaking, you know, like talking it up. I said, Oh, thank you. I feel less pressure now. Then a couple other guys said, Oh, you know, make me cry. (laughs) So. I, I thought about it. I, you know, <laughs> but he was a little bigger than me, so I, I. I said, you know, you really can't give that type of musr, personal attack type musr, until you really know people well. That, that's how I felt. So, you know, Barak Hashem, I'm getting to know many of you more and more. And. Uh, I look forward to getting to know more and more of you even better. So in, I said, I, I really didn't feel like I was in a position to start doing that type of musr, but I said, what I can definitely do is share some musa that I had given to myself uh, many, many years ago. That's always, you know, that's a classic, right? The best musr is a musa you give to yourself, and every baal musr who's really Giving most of it, everybody else says that they're giving it to themselves, but th- this is actually really true. Most of it I gave to myself at one point in my life, and it relates to something that um, people take for granted. It relates to tefillah, and I'll explain what I mean. When I was, uh, let's say, I think I was a, an intern. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm a doctor. Um, so I was uh, I was uh, doing my internship, and you know one of the things you have to navigate is zman uh, tefila and getting davening in, and you have all these responsibilities, and it's like a little crazy. So you daven anywhere, and you, you grab the opportunity and you do it. So I I was davening in this hospital, right? You know, basically in, it's called the residence room, but everybody just walks in there—patients, nurses, everybody. Not a lot of privacy. so I was. But I was trying to get it done. I'm moving pretty quickly, probably. And um, I, I finished. I didn't realize anyone was watching me, and this little kid comes over to me. He must have been like five years old. And um, I'll, never, I'll never forget this. He says, do you, do you really think that your prayer does anything? Right? I don't know if he was just a non-religious Jew or not Jewish or what he was, but he was definitely... Uh, a very perceptive for like a five-year-old kid. He comes over. Do you, do you think that really works? So you know, I was taken aback, and I said, uh, "Yes, yes, I do." He says, "Okay, then pray for me." And uh, unfortunately, this kid had a very horrible diagnosis. And I'm saying, oh my God, I'm about to, you know, whatever Shemet's a belief he had, I'm about to destroy it maybe because his prognosis was horrible. And I'm telling him, yes, I'll pray for you. And then, uh, not a happy ending to that story at all. But it got me thinking, it got me thinking of my, my own perspective of, on Philo. And, I was, and, I, and you know what I did? I, I, I have this book. Now, it's, it's in my office, it's a notebook. And I, d- I decided I'm going to start to take a log of when TILAs work and when the TILAs don't work. And I said, you know, let's, let's be scientific about this. Right? I'm going to actually do some type of, not a statistical analysis in the fullest sense, but I'm going I'm to see, look, does TILA work or not? There actually is, believe it or not, for those interested in these things. There was a study done, uh, I think it was in San Francisco, where they evaluated, they did a, it was a blinded study, meaning they, a non-denominational, but they had ICU patients, and they split them up, and they had this non-denominational tefillah for these patients, those who made it into the treatment group got the tefillah, the ones who didn't, didn't get their tefillah, I don't know how they controlled for other people praying, but at the end of the day, they showed that there was actually a significant advantage to the group that got the tefillah. Anyone who's interested in seeing that article, I'll be happy to show it to them. But so I was like thinking along those kind of, and I'll tell you now, um, uh, stupid lines that that's that was my perspective on tefillah, and, and I kept this logbook, and I remember there were this case where the tefillah worked, and this case where the tefillah worked, in this case where, the Tfila worked. and um, it, it began to occur to me that it was absurd. It was absurd what I was doing. It was absurd perspective on tefillah. And it became the biggest challenge in my avoda. You know, there, there are many elements of, of becoming a stronger, more real Jew. And to me, this was my weakness, Til. And so what I'm going to try to share in the Sihas Moser is what changed my whole perspective. There is an, an insight, it's, it's ultimately it's an insight of Rav Soloveitchik that I was able to uh, hear... From Aaron Luchmanstein, that was you know because he 's the one I went to to fetch about my problem He gave me such a beautiful uh, new perspective but i want to I want to kind of walk you into it by first uh, doing a little of me in Yanadiom Yom, right what's coming up Khanum. now Chanukah is a uh, very very um, special time of course, but it, it has many very interesting chakiros related to it. Very interesting holochic Hakiros about Hadlokos Neiros. We talked a little the other day, some of us. And about Tzila, about Halel, and about al Alhanisim al is a very, very famous one. You know, is it a minog, Is it a din? Do you say it part of benching? Do you not say it part of benching? Do you have to be chozer? Do you have not? All this, all this. And ultimately, um, those are all very interesting. But what I found the most fascinating about the entire area is this very, very famous, controversial, difficult Ramah. What's the controversial Ramah? So we end up asking that you do, as you all know, we do put al into benching, right? And because it's considered a minhav, not a din, so that's why you're not choser. But what happens if you forget? Let's say you're supposed to say al you forgot, you were benching and you forgot. What do you do? You're not choser, I just told you. So what do you do? Is there any Any recourse? You guys haven't been learning Hanukkah yet, apparently? What? Yes, the Ramah. This is this famous Ramah. The Ramah says, you haven't lost all opportunity. You could just throw it right into the harachamans. What do you say? And you say that. And, uh, okay, great, so it's a great way to get past this problem, but it became one of the most controversial Ramas. Why? It's so difficult. What's so difficult about this Ramah? What's the problem? The problem is, you're asking Hashem to do miracles. You're asking Hashem to do nisim. That goes against the gemara and Brachos, right? Very, very famous gemara and Brachos that talks about a person who says... Right? For whatever reason, you, you, you favor, it's interesting, Hazal favors Zachar. So you, you, you can't make such a tefillah, right? What's wrong with that tefillah? It's tefillah shav. It's an absurd tefillah. You cannot make that tefillah. Why? Because you're going to be asking Hashem to operate l'malim and elpevah. Hashem is going to do some kind of miracle for you. Unbelievable! How could the Ramah say this, right? Famous, famous Kasha. Oh, a lot of achronim ask it. One of the most famous, the B'chor Shor. He says, no, what's with this Ramah? So he gives a nice answer. He says, well, it's Yaselanu, rashon Rabin. Ah, what's the implication of this? Well, what's the problem of, of davening for a miracle? Hashem should do a miracle for me? It's a gaiva, it's 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 audacious because you think you have the Sriyos to ask Hashem to operate the on the temple with you, who are you? But if it's for Kwa Yisrael, Lash and Rabim, then you're okay. That's the Buhishra's first answer. He gives a couple of other ones. So that's nice. But when I when I first saw this, I was so bothered by it. Why? What's wrong? What's wrong with asking Hashem to do a ace? Why is it such a horrible thing to do? Why can't I ask Hashem to do a nace? And I, this is a real... This is a Lachal amaysa. I I got to tell you a story. Real story that happened. You can check because I'm going to mention all the names. These are all people that you've experienced here in Shalavim this year. Actually, a lot of the players in this story. I was uh, teaching in MTA at the time. And I was also, I was working in Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center, which is, you know, like sort of up the block over there. And uh, unfortunately, there was a, uh, one of the Tamidim in NYU, Loa Lenu, got very, very sick. He ended up in the ICU in Columbia. And um, I went with Rabbi Gary Beitler, some of you know him, right? Two of us, so you could verify the story with him. Two of us went to, to visit this this. This poor kid. And uh, I went in, because I was working there, so I went in and talked to all the doctors and I say, you know, what's going on? And the, the prognosis was really, really bad. And, uh, you know, so of course, Rabbi Beit Lerai, you know, the Kiyom mitzvah of Bikor Cholim, one of the, the ikaro of the Kiyom mitzvah of Bikor Cholim is Tzila, the makom hacholim because right, the Shechina is over the Chola, and that is one of the most important things to do. You're supposed to help them, you're supposed to you know, give them comfort, but Tefillah is really the, the biggest key. So we, we davened. We went to him, and we dove. Suddenly, in walks Rav Shechter, and Rav Shai Shechter, the two of them, come into the room. They were visiting also. So Shechter comes over to me, and he says, what's the prognosis? So... I just thought he was asking in general terms. I said, unfortunately, it's not looking very good. So he says, no, 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 What's the prognosis? So I'm getting a little embarrassed. Like, didn't I just answer that question? It's not looking very good. So he says, no. Puts his arm around me and he says, I forgot the expression he used, something about a schepsel or some kind of shit. (laughs) He goes, is this going to be possible, having a recovery? I said, oh, wow. Now that's a toughie. I'm still not, he looks at my face and he sees that I'm still puzzled by the questioning because I'm not really holding yet in the Bechor in the of in Gemara the, in the, and Brachos and that is the Halach And he goes to me, he goes, no, you have to understand, if it's not, I'm not going to adopt him. Because, you know, he also obviously knew that the kiyam of Biko Cholim was to daven the ma'akum Cholem, But I'm not going to daven, and, and neither of us are going to daven. And he tells me that he, when he went to Panovich, and he visited Panovich, and he was uh, uh, standing there with the, the mashkiach, of Chizka Levenstein. They were standing next to each other. And the whole yeshiva was saying to Hillam for this Talmud that had some kind of cancer or something. and Rabbi Chizka Levenstein is not davening. So, Sheikh said to him, Why aren't you dominant? He said, Because Lamalamin Taba. And he said, I'm very, very makhbir on it. So, I said to him, I said, uh, Is it Lamalamin How on earth am I going to really know if it's Lamalamin Atabah? I said, I don't, the doctors are, have nothing else to offer. And as soon as he heard that, that sentence, no it." And he did not dab. Now, the story got really interesting. Because Rabbi Beitler went back to Passaic and he spoke to his shulroth, Jonas and Sachs. And he says to him, right, this is like uh, all familiar territory, he tells him the story. So that night I get a call from R. Sachs. He calls me up and he says, Is this true? Did this really happen? And I go, Yeah, that's what it happened. And he didn't daven. He said, I can't believe it. I was just talking to Rav Asher Weiss. <laughs> And he said the exact opposite. What's going on? He's asking me. <laughs> like, Rabbi Sachs, <laughs> you know, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> what, what's the Kudas here? What are they on? Rav, Rav, Rav is saying, no, Yadav and Yadav. And how could it be? What, about, what is Ravashavai? So Ravashavai Rav is another Sugya. There's a Gemara in, in, also in on and yours, that talks about Cherav Chada that's. Uh, on a person's neck, you're you, you, you daven, you're still daven. When you have the neck, the sword against your neck, and you're still daven. So there's a stew in the sugiah. What, what's going on here? So uh, <coughs> I'll tell you what I think was going on. The, the real halacha here is that if you look in the Gemara and Brachas, it talks about you're not supposed to daven that shetelit uh, zachar. So the Gemara says there's an exception? What's the exception? Right? What about Leah? Leah davened. right? Everyone knows the famous story, right? Leah saw she was going to have another boy that was going to mess up Rachel. So she davened that it should be a girl, and Dina, poof, Dina, there you go. The guard says, I thought you're not allowed to do that. So the governor gives a couple of answers. One is, well, Leah's on a different Madrego. But give this other one. The other answer was, this is interesting for people that are into these kind of things, it said, well, it was before 40 days, and you're allowed a daven before 40 days for a boy. So everyone got that, right? Before 40 days. Um, why? Why is, that, why is that exception an exception? Anyone? Right, so you, you all sound like Chazal. I mean, you think that gender is determined by 40, at 40 days? When is gender determined in a baby? right. Right away, you know, X, Y, that whole thing. So, no, what's going on? Is Chazal, we need Rabbi Slifkin in yeah. here. But does he come to Shalom? No. Okay, <laughs> Stay away from that. <laughs> I have a funny Rabbi Slifkin story, but I better hold on it for a moment. Uh, but it looks like Chazal a little off here. You know, forget about a boar that's got uh, Havla and killing you with 10 and all that. Forget about that. How about this? They think that gender's not determined until 40? No, let's not, let's not make fun of Chazal. They know what they're doing. right? What's the, what's the answer? The answer is, what happens at, here's an amazing raya. This is, uh, my Slifkin story was, that I was having, I brought him in, I brought my shear home for a Shabbos, and Rabbi Slifkin happens to be a neighbor of mine, uh, at this, where I used to live and uh, I used to bring him over for show and tell. You know, when I was in, it was a controversial time for him. So he used to like to give him some exposure, so I brought him in, and then we, we were having this whole debate about Chazal and science and how good they are. So one of the riots I brought in was they knew, Chazal, way, well before medical science knew, that the form of the fetus, the outward form of the fetus, is fully formed at 40 days, around that time. It's pretty good. Right? Even though the gender is really determined right at conception, right at fertilization. So, what's going on? What does this clue you into? Well, no one knows, right? Here's the amazing thing. There is a medjush khuma that says you have up until birth, actually, to still dive in that your baby becomes a boy. Right? You have up until birth. The, so, the medjush khuma says birth and the bavli says 40 days. What's, what's going on? What's it all about? It's all about recognition. When is it Nikar that uh, the baby is a boy or a girl? So in the days of Chazal, it was nikah when? At birth. That's, they didn't know till birth. They didn't have ultrasounds and ways of knowing these things. Right? But Chazal is amazing. When, when would we know? He's my name. Probably around 40 days. It's a pretty impressive Chazal to me that they were, you know, holding. This is a Masora of 40 days. But what's the point when it comes to davening for a miracle? It's still a miracle to have a, uh, a baby that was at conception determined to be a girl to flip them into her. It, nowadays, it's not such a big deal, right? like <laughs> I said to myself, I'm gonna talk about this topic and I will not make that joke once. And, here it goes. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> and Naomi, please forgive me, that's my wife. <laughs> um, Anyway, so the point is that what's the issue? The issue is to Davin for an overt miracle, where, where it's happening, that we know about. But if it's a Nes Nister, which means, look, maybe Hashem's doing all sorts of magical things down there, right? It's F- flipping the baby into whatever, but it's not recognized by anybody until after 40 days, with ultrasounds, or. These the, the Medrash Tanchuma. they were like limited. They didn't have the same Ruha hakodesh as the other ones. But at the end of the day, so it helped me sort of like suggest the machlokes between Rav Shachter and Rav Weiss. What's the machlokes? Yes, machlug is, is that uh, according to Rav Shachter, as soon as the doctors say there's nothing else we could do, right? That's it. That is a marker that you're asking now for something that's l'malim inoteba. The doctors can't do it. It won't happen via medical science. So, therefore, he said, "That's what it seemed like to me." And this was verified. I, I was uh, I was with of Aryeh last year, a major Talmud of Rav and you know we spent Pesach together last last year. So I, I remember I always wanted all my I save up all my Rav Shechter questions when I get together with him, and I asked him, he, and he confirmed this is exactly the criteria that Rav Anyone who's interested in Alach So if a doctor says there's nothing else we could do. And that's it, the davening is done. Because then you're you're doing it a Tila Shah. And Rabashawai says, no, we're gonna still go whenever we can say that it could be made. obviously it's a nase, everything's a nase, But if it can be declared as there outwardly, we still die to So all this is really, really nice and interesting, but it didn't help me in the slightest. And it brings me to my real problem. My real problem is, so I don't understand the whole premise. I don't understand the whole underlying issue here. What's the problem with Nisim and Daveni to Hashem, that he does not next? What's the fundamental problem there? What's wrong with it? Why is that? I, I used to think when I, was, I had this wrong perspective about Tzfila, that that's what Tzfila is. Look, we're supposed to do maximal hishtadus. So this, is, this is our, our life we're supposed to do everything we can do. We have Akrayas to accomplish everything we can accomplish. And then tsila, that's for the malamina That's why I need. I need a shem more than to, to do the things I can't do, to do the things that are that man can't do. So obviously that's a stupid idea. That's not Khazal tell me that's not only incorrect, it's it's an abeyra. It's wrong. Why? So what is Tfilah really all about? That's what changed for me, because this issue brings me to that, and this is what uh, basically it's a, it's three sodos from Rav Soloveitchik. It's three yesodos from Rav as to what Tfilah is. And once once I understood this, and I and I have Revan Aron to thank for Baruch Hashem zatzal that that I really changed my whole perspective on Tfilah and my whole Davening changed, I, I'm not exaggerating, in the most in the most dramatic fashion. Starts with very, very typical Rav Soldechik, you saw number one. He he very often, immediately when he looks at a mitzvah, so he, he puts it into one of those categories, right? It's a mitzvah where the Kiyam and the and the, the ma'isa are the same, or the Kiem and the ma'isa are separate, right? We talked about this Whoever, when we talked about the, the mitzvah of Kol Shofar, right? And in many, many areas, the Rev always makes this typological split. He says, let's say we're going to be lighting menorah soon, so whether it's Hanacha, whatever the mitzvah is, the Asiyasa mitzvah is the of mitzvah also. But there are other mitzvahs like Sibchashyamtev where the Asiyasa mitzvah and the Kiyama mitzvah are completely separate. And just because you do the asiyah mitzvah, the pa'ulos, the actions of the mitzvah, in no way were you makayim the mitzvah. You need a shibaleh right? You have to feel happy. If it's simcha, you have to feel happy. Tzfila is the quintessential example of that for the Rav. Tzfila has maisa mitzvah, and it has the kiyam mitzvah. And the kiyama mitzvah has, is, is completely independent from the maisa mitzvah. What is the kiyam mitzvah? So the Rav puts it this way. The Kiyama mitzvah of Tzfilah is an emotional, psychological, intellectual awareness. It's a very simple thing, right? Very simple. Of That's what it is. You are Mekayim, the Mitzvah of the according to the Rambam and the Ramban, under certain conditions, when you do that. That's all you got to do. Everything else is a means of getting there. Everything else is a pa'ula. Everything else is just a Hechsh Mitzvah. But the qiyam is this simple accomplishment. Now, I remember when I, when I first really began to absorb it, and I realized, first of all, it's not so posh. We'll, we'll see in a minute. To accomplish it, I, I had to work on it for a long time, and I remember educating my kids on it. I remember just a little funny story. You know, there's, there's many ways, and what works for one person doesn't work for another one, in terms of the pa'ulos necessary to get to this kiyom. The bolus the, the that we all share is the, is the sitter, right? And the tilus and in the sitter. But there's a lot more to it, right? The Hasidim think they have, like, the, the monopoly on this, right? Hasidim, not a diving, right? But us, we don't know enough, right? So not necessarily true. We just do it differently. But I remember when I was educating my kids on tefillah when they were younger, and I wanted them to appreciate this. I said, this did so much for me. It turned my whole tefillah around. Once I was focused on that one accomplishment, no matter what, I just want to be able to accomplish when I daven, at some point, hit the chibor, hit, hit that connection with Hashem that I really feel I'm, I'm, I'm together with Him. So I, I said, you know, people do this in different ways. Everyone's going to have to figure out for themselves. Right? This is what I'm saying to all my kids. They're all around... Like There's five boys from ages of uh, 10 to, at this point, like uh, 15. Something like that. And I figure I'm going to expose them to different forms of Tfilis. So there was a, we lived in Teaneck, and there was this uh, entity called Stolel. Anyone ever hear of it? Ah, One person, good. Now what was Stolel? Two people. Stolel was a um, uh, Rav Yehuda Michelle. Oh, here's another person that's been here a couple of times, right? So he, he had a group, when he was teaching in Rashi, he had a group of guys that really got connected to him, and they became like little Hasidim of Rav Michel. And when they got back to Teaneck, they didn't want to lose it. And they wanted to make a, like a kolel, but not not your typical Kolel. They wanted it a Stolo, because it was in Stokar's house. Anyone know the Stokars? They live in Tinec. Right? You know the Stokars, right? So they called it Stolo, because it was the Kolo in the Stokar's house that was a little out of the box. So, you know, the, their their first rovers were Moshe Tzvi. They, they had a lot of Hasidus, and it was to me, very inspiring. Even though I, it wasn't for me. But to me, it was inspiring to watch them. They were really very, very actively connected. So I, I, figured this is going to be a great experience for my kids. I'm going to take them to Kabbalah Shabbos Friday night. We're going to go to Stola, right? So I bring him in, and here are all these guys. They're very serious, right? But the, the way they dive in is very interesting. You know, they make their chibur, they make their connection to a Kabbalat by various motions and flapping, and I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it was. For them, an extremely real experience. And I was very uh, impressed with the way it was working for them. My kids, on the other hand, were just cracking up the whole time. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I had, and they were getting very annoyed. And they were like, sneering at look at that guy. He's, like a, he's the eagle, and that guy's the dog. And that guy's the like, oh dog. All right, guys, all right, I'm glad you appreciated my didactic moment. We are going to move on. But... For them, it was real. And for them, whatever those motions do, I don't know exactly how it works or why, but it created the opening to allow them to have this chibur, to have have this connection. Now, the connection is an amazing thing when you really do it. The Rambam writes, you see, it's not only the Hasidim, the Rambam writes about this connection very, very vividly. And he says, you must, he says, the morning you cannot be drunk. (laughs) You cannot be drunk. You can be drunk for kriya shema, but you can't be drunk for this. Right? Kabbalah Zahamukhut Shemayim is not Tzivah. Kabbalah Zahamukhut Shemayim is a different mitzvah. And, you, and it's not usher to say Kriya when you're a little inebriated. Right? But, right? Not have to help you on perm or whatever, but you can't doubt them. You can't doubt them. Why? Right? Because you need full, full faculties. And you need to now do something that's very hard to do. Even in Yeshiva, you have to empty your mind of all things that are of either mundane concern, but even not mundane concern. If you're in the middle of a good tzidya or something like that, you have to really make an effort to empty out the mind and be able to focus. And you have to focus that you're making a connection with Hashem here and now, in this world. It cannot be a metaphysical connection that is needing you to be uh, in a different world. It has to be relating to Hashem here. It's a very, very tricky thing to do. And it's one, i got to tell you, that has tremendous potential. And it has nothing to do with the bakasha or the acceptance of its fila or the, the positive outcome of its fila. All the rav says you're supposed to do is make this connection. Okay, Why? What, what does it do for you? So you mentioned two really very interesting things. One, I think the best feel I ever had was when I was 10 years old. And I had no idea what I was doing. And this is uh, another true story. I was, uh, I used to have this little, uh, whoops, Uh, too many stories maybe, but all right, it's the best part. So I was uh, in competition with my younger brother. I was like 10 years old, he was around seven. We used to compete, we'd on the school bus, we would get to the house and the competition was who would get the New York Post Sports section, which was on the, uh, the porch, who would get it first, right? And we would like battle it out. And this particular day, I'll never forget, it, it's embedded in my memory. We get, he gets ahead of me and he's getting across the street, you know, and this was before they were very strict that not passing a bus, a car, not going past the bus that's off to the side. Bus is here, we got out, he comes around, our house is over here. And I'm behind him. The last thing I remember is he smiles at me. I beat you. And boom, he got hit by a car. This woman was driving around 60 miles an hour, passing the bus. He goes flying in the air. And down to the ground. To me, I, I was sure he was dead. And I was absolutely frozen. I was frozen. I couldn't speak I needed to call to get to help, but I was in an, I didn't, I, 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 I'm reliving it right now. It was an incredible experience. It's something a 10-year-old should never go through. And then I started doing the one thing that I knew how to do when it came to being a Jew or davening, my, my, uh, my grandfather used to say at night uh, before I'd go to sleep. So I knew that one thing. So I started saying Krishna over and over, a hundred times. That's all I knew. God, help me. And I felt like I connected. And it, 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 gave me, it gave me like a real sense of something that was comforting. And I was able to speak, and I was able to get Baruch Hashem. I mean, he was in a coma for four months, body cast for like 10 months. When he got out of the body cast i got to lighten up a little the moment here. So I'll tell you a funny story. The day he got out of his body cast, mom shall never forget, a big party in my house, my mother's crying, everybody's so happy, crying tears of happiness and joy. My brothers and I, we were four brothers, we decided we are going to have a race. We put this brother in a wheelchair, right, because he couldn't walk. And uh, one of my brothers was pushing him, and I was in the little race car, and my other brother was pushing me. And we had a race going around the block. Right. And they were beating us. So, you know, we were going to let him win, make him feel good. And suddenly he pulls on the brake of his wheelchair. And everyone knows, you know, a little physics. Right. Boom. He goes flying out of the wheelchair. We said, all right, we're dead. Right. You know, how are we going to go back in the house and tell him we might have put him back in his body there. <laughs> so Baruch Hashem, we davened very sincere tefillah and Hashem answered it and nothing was broken and we got back in the house. <laughs> now, but the truth is the chibur that, that took place when I, when I was davening at the moment was real. And I always said to myself uh, that who's going to believe me, a ten-year-old, maybe it's just imagination, you know. Listen to the Rav, the Rav himself. This is in uh, a piece um, called Majesty and Humility. He says the following. The first thing he does is he explains this Sisod. With the arrival of the dark night of the soul and moments of agony and black despair, when living becomes ugly and absurd, plainly nauseating, when man loses his sense of beauty and majesty, Hashem addresses him, not from infinity, but from the infinitesimal, not from the vast stretches of universe, not through Nisim, but from a single spot in the darkness which surrounds suffering men. The Chibor is so important for moments of Tsar, just to have companionship. And this is the Rav now is going to describe his own experience where this came in to help him in, in a very significant way. Eleven years ago, my wife lay on her deathbed, and I watched her dying day by day, hour by hour. Medically, I could do very little. All I could do was pray. However, I could not pray in the hospital. Somehow I could not find Hashem in the whitewashed corridors among the interns and the nurses. But the need for davening was great. I could not live without gratifying this need. The moment I came home, I rushed to my room, I fell on my knees, and I prayed fervently. Hashem in those moments appeared not as an exalted majestic king, not as a miracle worker, but as a humble, close friend, a brother, a father. In such moments of black despair, he was not far from me. He was right there in the dark room. I felt his warm hand, so to speak, on my shoulder. I hugged his knees. He was with me in the narrow confines of a small room, taking up no space at all. Rubs, you saw number 1 is that, you know, is not about necessarily having guaranteed results in the slightest. It's, not, it's a very immature way to think of tzilah. A mature way of thinking of tzilah is its function is to create a connection. It's, a, it's an incredible opportunity. This is, not only the Rev talks about this, this is in Derech Hashem, it's in uh, Rav Yosef Albo, many, many, many Baal Machshavah uh, talk about this idea of how it's an incredible opportunity to make this type of connection. I have only like two minutes left. So I want to just, uh, I'm not going to get to all three Yisodos, but we'll do two. Maybe I'll sneak in the third. Um, the second said is, as much as this is a useful thing for us to make this chibur and to uh, uh, do the kiyam atzila of having this amida, and this awareness of being with Hashem, what's an incredible Kiddush is that the truth of the matter is, Hashem wants it as badly as we do. Now that's an audacious thing to say. Right? Hashem wants the connection as much as we do. Says who? So I remember when I heard this, uh, Yesod was from uh, Rav Bagno. Anyone familiar with Rav Bagno? the Rav of Yeshua and Shilo. Some Shiloh. Some of you are going to meet him this Shabbos. But There had been a horrible tragedy that took place in Ramachilo. uh, It's a small community. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's kids is everybody's kids. It's that kind of place. So there was this nine-year-old boy who, in the summer, unfortunately drowned. And it was devastating. Like, everybody was devastated. And he came to Shloshim, and they were having this whole thing. And I'm saying to myself, boy, what on earth can you possibly say? What can you say? What's the going to say? So he gets up there, and he quotes from the medrash, medrash rabba and parashas bshalach, and he's talking about. I'll, I'll just read it quickly. Kevan charu Yisrael shayu Mukafin Megimel Ruchos. Val yisrael was surrounded. Right here we are. We're in the midbar. We're getting out of Egypt, and we're about to have krios Yamsov, But it's before krios yamzuf. So the yam is in front of us. The mitsriim are behind us. The medrash describes all this. There's wild animals on the right, the wild animals on the left. It's an unbelievable situation. So, what happens? So, He cried out to Hashem. So now, the Medrash asks the most kasha you can imagine. You wouldn't think that, we can't ask this question. But the Medrash asks it. The Lama hasad Kadosh Baruch Why did Hashem do this to them? Why did He do it? Why did He put them in that position? And the Rav was trying to explain, why do people suffer? Why do tragedies happen? That was the Rav's agenda. So the the Medrash's answer is unbelievable. The reason Hashem did this, It's an amazing explanation why Bad things happen to good people. But it's, it's right here in, in the madrash. Hashem desires the communication. <laughs> that that's why there's tzar in the world, at times. It's a, it's a little reminiscent of the, the, the Chazanish in bitachon, right? What's the Chazanish's pshat in Bittachon, Right, Very famous. Right? bitachon doesn't mean everything's going to be good. Bitachon doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy. I bitachon that everything's great. Right? No, it's not true. The Chazish understood bitachon means everything's under hashkacha. Everything is under Hashem's control. And then, it's all about how we deal with it. And one of the ways of dealing with things is to connect to Hashem. And that's what Hashem's looking for. He's mis'avet for our tefillahs. It's why the the root of tefillah, cannot p'sil techelahs, It's p'sil. What does p'sil mean? intertwined. It's a it takes two to tango kind of thing, right? It needs it needs us both. Hashem wants it and we want it. I'll end with this. There was one final yesod that the uh, that Ravaran shared. He said that, you know, if you've been successful in your Kia atzvila and, and you have this and you're really aware of it, and you really feel it, and you're intellectually, psychologically, emotionally, all of it, aware of this, it does one other thing. It's, it's certainly available for comforting you when needed. Yeah, that's great. But there's one other thing it does. You know what it does? It forces you to confront who you really are. It forces you to have to deal with the MS about yourself. It puts it this way. A, a, the Ravara wrote it up in an article um, many years later. Man reveals his own self not only through the process of self-evaluation and self-revelation but also by virtue of the fact that he has found Hashem and Hashem takes hold of him and he communicates with him. True life and inner happiness are derived from this connection. Tefillah here is standing before Hashem with one's heart exposed before him. It's when man reveals his innermost secrets. You tell who you really are. Now, let me just end, if I can indulge you for one more minute, with a final story. This episode really hit home with me when I, uh, you know, paced to become a doctor. There's so many great stories if you become a doctor. So that's reason enough. So I have another doctor story. I had this patient, and. they, the patient needed an absolute dangerous, dangerous procedure. So, you know, that's like part of the business. But, you know, it's never simple. And, you, know, and you, know, you have to explain it to the parents. And you have to get consent. They have to be signing off that they're willing to put their kids through this. So you take it very seriously. And you want them to really understand what they're getting into. So I had this couple. the from couple. And the, the woman is just saying to him the whole time. Just saying to hell. And the husband is just making fun of her for saying to him. She's saying to him, That's all she does. And he's more interested in, like, you know, the deductible and the insurance coverage and very, very money conscious guy. And I'm trying to get one of them to tune in. I say, look, you know, we're about to do a procedure that might end up killing your kid. Could you please just listen to what I have to say and I want to explain it to you and then we'll get consent signed. No one's listening to me. Tell him, tell him, tell him. Wise guy, wise guy, wise guy. So I finally, like, stop him. I, go, I, I almost touched him, but, you know, I don't want to get arrested or something. So I, I say to the guy, I say, I need you to focus. And what, what, what do you want, what do you want? I said, I need you, I need you to understand what's going on. He says, don't worry, whatever, I'm sure you'll, everything will be fine. You'll just do it. I said, okay, sign it. So he signs the consent. You go in and do the procedure. And the way the procedure is in a room, and the parents sit right outside the room. And as happens sometimes, cardiac arrest. In the middle of the procedure, there's like pandemonium. That's what happens when there is, you know, like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever, no one here watches TV, but if you ever heard about it or something like that. So they they have these scenes like where, you know, Code Blue, whatever they say in the movies and all that stuff. So, and everybody comes running, but that actually really does happen. So, in Lo Leichem, you should never know it in real life, but that's what happened. So, we're in the room, we're in this little room, and we needed more people because, you know, when there's an arrest, you want a lot of help. And the parents freaked out. It was, like, unbelievable. Here they were, like, she's saying to him, he's, like, in his own world of whatever, and suddenly I hear him screaming, Hashem, Hashem, save him, save him, Hashem! And we're, Baruch Hashem, we saved him. Okay, so happy ending this time. Right, the kid made it. A few weeks later, follow up, right? Or it must have been like two months later. Follow up, they come in, and I see this guy, and uh, he's holding a sitter in his hand, and a check. So he goes with the check, he goes, I go, ooh, What's going on? He goes he goes, uh well, I do you know any I want to give it to somebody who takes care of children with heart disease. And I see it's like a fifteen thousand dollar check. I said, Oh I take care of children. <laughs> no. I said I said, um I said, okay, there's this great organization and whatever. I go, what inspired you? So he go I go, is it to save? You know <laughs> No, not really. That was nice, thank you. It was it was davening. I go, what do you mean it was dominant? I'm saying, oh I heard you screaming for Hashem to save you and he answered you'd He goes, No, you know, I gotta tell you the truth. That you know that was nice too. That's not it. That's not what changed me. I go, What? Tell me. He said, Well, you know what I what I started to do after that event. You know, when I was screaming Hashem, Hashem, I really felt like he had that kind of experience that I had when I was a little kid, and the rough had by his wife, he had that. And then he said, for the first time in my life, I started to really pay attention to the davening, and he began to speak to me, and I began to realize that I, I care almost nothing about all the things Shimon Esra is telling me to care about, and it was like a self-discovery, and that's that's the rough saying as you saw number three the important element of Tzfila is it's such a moment of MS, if you've done it right, that you're going to be confronted with who you really are and what you really care about. And if you don't care about the things that Chazal formulated in Tzfila, you have a lot of problems. And he said, <laughs> He saw so much Lashon rabim in the tfilo, so much concern for other people, he decided that, he realized that all he cared about all along was himself. He never was mispalil for other people. And it was such an eye-opening experience to him, the moment where he realized who he really was, that it had this type of solid impact. I would just end and say, we should all be Zohar, to have a successful Tzviva, to be in the Mitzvah of the Rice, to have that Amidah, let it never be necessary during the time of Tsar, but let it be a stimulation towards discovery of who you should be, and be very successful at attaining that.